You're listening to the Business for Sale Review Podcast. I'm Patrick Fandaro, co-founder at Vetted Biz. In series one, we're gonna go through everything you need to know about buying or selling a small biz. Whether you're a first-time entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, or even looking to grow your current business inorganically through acquisitions, this is the podcast for you. And this season, we're gonna be going through some of the most promising industries for those that are looking to buy an existing business. Also, we're gonna be going through some of the best cities to buy a business or open a business in the United States. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining um, the Facebook and YouTube Live of Visa Franchise. Uh, today, we're, we have a very special guest, Alexandra Martins, uh, Director of Client Services at H&Co. Uh, H&Co is a top accounting firm here in South Florida was founded 25 years ago uh, and really is focused on helping international investors uh, invest in the U.S. and everything related to the accounting, fiscal, everything tax related. Um, so again, really excited to have everyone on today. Um, my name is Patrick Pindaro, uh, co-founder of Vista Franchise and Vetted Biz. Our firm helps find and analyze businesses, principally franchises that qualify for the E2 investor visa. Uh, Over the last um, five years, we've helped 350 clients um, from well over 50 countries immigrate to the U.S. through selecting the right business for them. Um, On today's Facebook and YouTube Live, um, we're going to have Alexandra from H&Co., uh, go over for 30 minutes a presentation on key considerations from an accounting perspective uh, for those international investors, principally in small businesses. Uh, keep your questions coming throughout the presentation. Uh, we'll be answering them throughout the talk today to keep it a little more lively, as well as we'll have 15 minutes dedicated at the end of the talk uh, to go over um, any pending questions that you might have. For those on Facebook and YouTube Live, if you're finding the content relevant and you think it'd be noteworthy for those in your um, network, feel free to go ahead and share it. Uh, especially those Facebook users, you can go ahead and click share um, on the the YouTube uh, on the video um, for your your entire network um, to also potentially see the video, and they might also get value from. So again, this is Patrick Fandaro, uh, co-founder of Visa Franchise and Vetted Biz. Uh, we're the leading advisor for finding and analyzing businesses, principally for the E2 investor visa. Um, I have on today, Alexandra Martins. Really excited to have uh, Alexandra on. She's the director of client services at H&Co, a premier accounting firm uh, based here in South Florida with over three offices. Uh, they speak five languages, Spanish, Portuguese, French, Mandarin. You can't forget English. They speak English as well. Uh, Like Visa Franchise, they focus solely on international investors. Uh, We've been working with them uh, on a business. We've been a client of H&Co for the last two years. Uh, Before that, uh, we had at least three different accountants. We really like the, the level of client service they provide. They're readily available to to jump on the call, answer emails, as well as they have that expert uh, knowledge accumulated with being a firm that's been around for over 25 years uh, with numerous CPAs 
and they've really divided their functions quite well. So you have teams that just focus on pre-immigration tax planning. Uh, they can help with bookkeeping and other services. Um, so we've been a big fan of their services. Uh, we don't receive any compensation from H&Co. They're a, a separate entity, separate firm. Uh, we just wanted to bring them on because they provided us a lot of value. And a lot of our clients have been asking for information about taxes, what, what kind of entity to set up. So we thought, you know, why not talk to the expert? Why not talk to Alexandra Martins from H&Co? Uh, we'll have her on, on as a Facebook, YouTube live. Um, so we're really excited to have her on today um, as they've done a great job for us so far at, at Visa Franchise and Vetted Biz. Uh, and they've done a great job for our clients. Uh, we've been collaborating for the last four, four or so years on, on mutual clients. So without further ado, um, I want to pass the, the stage over to Alexandra Martins uh, to go through her presentation today uh, that should be extremely relevant uh, for those small business investors from start, whether you're opening the business or on an ongoing basis. So thanks again, uh, Alexandra, and, and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and turn the video off and please keep the, the comments coming. Um, as we're going to be having a Q&A throughout the talk today. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Franchise Brokers Association, also known as FBA. They provide custom guidance for franchise buyers in the U.S. FBA has over 100 certified franchise specialists as part of their network, currently working with 350 plus franchise brands. Click the link in the description section to learn how they can help you find the right franchise. FBA has over 15 years of experience. They've placed 2,000 plus franchisees across the United States. They take a very personalized approach to selecting and analyzing the best franchise for you. Their approach is also backed by the data that we have at Vetted Biz. So if you're interested in buying or at least exploring a franchise, start your franchise search today with FBA. And again, you can click on the link in the description section for more info. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to kind of do a, a joint effort in explaining and diving into the accounting tax here in the U.S. It's, I'm really excited to be able to, to speak a little bit with you, all the participants that are, are listening and tuning in. So... We have a, a great presentation for you. We'll try to keep this as exciting and on beat as possible. So we won't bore you with any monotonous information. So as Patrick mentioned, if you're tuning in through YouTube or Facebook Live, if you think that any friend or family member might think this is useful information because maybe they're already here in the US or they wanna diversify their portfolio, or they're thinking of providing some services here in the United States. Basically, this will give you a general overview of all these topics that sometimes seem so difficult, but can be very straightforward with the right assistance. So I've been at the firm for six years, working at H&Co with international clients, people that I talk to every day, maybe already did an investment or they're planning on doing an investment or they want to immigrate to the United States. So we assist them with the immigrate, the, not the immigration legal part, pre-immigration tax planning and kind of understanding what type of tax 
implications or what would be the best strategy for you to do business in the US. So hopefully you, you appreciate the, the presentation. And just so you have a general overview of what we'll be touching on, we're gonna touch on the different types of tax structures, what's taxable to a foreign person, how much tax do I have to pay? And I think the most relevant theme here would be how am I taxed? Am I a non-resident or am I a U.S. person? So those are very important key factors to when you're talking to your CPA or discussing any type of investment in the U.S. So let's get started. Let's get started. Here we go. So most of us might be thinking, oh, I don't. I don't have a green card or I don't have a, a, a U.S. citizenship, so I'm automatically a non-resident. So we talk about this as from the individual standpoint. If you're someone that holds a, a different passport or you're here on a visa, we would like to dive into basically how much time do you spend in the United States to determine if you're going to be considered a non-resident alien, which is an important um, factor for tax considerations. So just so you have a, we'll use some terminology throughout the presentation as non-resident alien, NRA, which is our international investor, or a foreign corporation, signified as FC. Those, that would be a foreign company doing business in the United States, which happens. So it's extremely common. Why? Because the United States is actually a very easy country to start doing business, open a bank account, um, invoice through the United States. So these are all key elements and you can get paid in the United States. So a lot of big corporations or well-established businesses abroad can come to the United States and establish one feature of their, their business um, service here. So what would you be taxed on as a foreign company or foreign foreign type entities, you would be you would be taxed on information such as income that you derive from doing business in the United States or effectively connected income. And I'll dive into that in a little bit more specific so that you can understand what I'm talking about. This is just a definition from the Internal Revenue Code. So our typical international type of income that would be derived in the United States by foreign investors would be taxable something such as services if you come to the united states and you're physically present you have an office here you'd be able to um, have a co-working space and have a business and you can provide services in the united states but it doesn't mean that you legally you live here so but that would be taxable so then that is taxable to a non-resident alien or if you have a property that you decided to invest in and you decided to rent that property, that rental income, you would have to report that on, on an income tax return. And we would dive into how that would be treated. Capital gains treatments. Oh, I, I have a, a property that I go to vacation in the United States. Um, since it's located in US territory, and if you hold that property for more than a year, you're taxed on, it's called capital gains because you had a US asset that derived income and you held it for more than 12 months. And then we will pay capital gains um, to the United States 
This is all on assets or income that you derive in the US, okay? So you can either be here physically providing services or have an office here and have payroll, and that source income that you derive would be taxable to the US. So in the United States, as a foreign investor, it's very relevant that you take into consideration that there's income tax and that there is estate tax. So estate tax also is a very important factor because as non-resident aliens, NRA's foreign international clients, you are on your US assets subject to estate tax or even a filing requirement when the owner of that asset passes away. So as a non-resident, you have a $60,000 exemption from your fair market value of the asset, um, which is what was that asset worth at the time of death? And that, depending on that lump sum, if it's greater than $60,000, you would have a state tax due. You'd have to pay money to the IRS so that that asset could be passed on to the beneficiary. So this is important so that you have all the information necessary to make an educated decision. Um, and there's a state tax planning that you can do. There are strategies that you can implement, but we really just wanna make sure that you know that there is that exposition, that you are exposed to, to a state tax. And a simple example would be real estate property in the United States. The shareholder or the owner of that property, depending on the structure, would, if you're a non-resident alien, and you pass away, that property would have estate tax. So that's not the focus of, of the presentation, but I just wanted to share here some information that could be relevant, okay? Um, so let's go. Um, so what I really wanted and I thought would be valuable for everyone to, to understand is that accounting is the foundation of any business. Right, and every country has different legislation, different requirements um, and obligations for accounting and tax. So for the US, our, our accounting system is based on income minus expenses equals their profit. The same everywhere else, except we get to deduct a lot, a lot of business expenses in the United States. We're very flexible with that. So it's very important to have some control over your finances, understand where you're spending money, understand if I should use the company card or use my personal card to expense things. So I wanted to share a brief example because I thought it would be just a little visualization so that we could skim through a design landscaping business and you can see how the income is separated between the different services. We do have expenses. Anything related to that income would be able to be expense through the business. So we're talking about marketing, advertisement. If you paid for a company to come and do some consulting services for your business strategies, if you have like in a design and landscape service, a vehicle that you use to provide those services, you can include um, your lease, your car lease and your car insurance as long as it's related directly to the business operation. Big expense for companies in the United States is payroll. Payroll, you get the actual wages deduction that you pay your employees, the payroll taxes, legal and professional services. So our accountants would, would get paid, your, your attorneys would get paid. Anyone that 
provides a service for your business would be included there. If you have rent, utilities, why is this? Why am I focusing so much on this? Because we really want to emphasize business expenses. So there is, I highly emphasize that you use your company card or credit card solely for um, business expenses and not try to, oh, I'm going to go purchase a designer fashion bag at Louis Vuitton. That would not be deductible. We can't, we can't deduct that on the accounting. So that won't affect your bottom line. So we just want to make sure that we're all on, on the same page. And here you'll notice that 27,000 is the net profit in the United States. You will always get taxed on your net income. Okay. Nothing. It's not taxed on your gross income. It's always the net. So that's why it's important for you to see it, depending on your business model, how can you maximize your expenses? That would be the primary um, focus of, of the accounting and having a good accountant that you can call and exchange an idea, um, have your accounting up to date, check out your profit and loss. Those are very important features when you open a company and you're going to have an operational operational business. In the United States, you also do not have an accounting requirement to have your accountants um, your books closed on a monthly basis. That is like an internal um, control feature that you could determine for your business. So there's nothing in the law that states that it has to be financially uh, closed at a certain frequency. Okay. But again, we'll analyze your business model throughout um, in a conversation to see what key features pertain to your business. And we'll give you some guidance based on that. Usually after I mention that we get taxed on net income, the follow-up question generally is, how much tax am I really going to have to pay? I think that is everyone's major concern. So we can, we can dive into that a little bit more in depth. And I'm sorry to say that it really depends on a number of factors that we have to take into consideration, which is basically, What's your ownership structure? How is your investment structured? So there are numerous different strategies that can be implemented. I wouldn't say one is better than the other. Each one has pros and cons, and we'll go into each explanation. I'll, I'm showing you three major structures that's commonly used in the United States that I'll go over. But just to have as a reference, I'm sure many of you have heard of limited liability companies, which is an LLC, the acronym LLC, a US corporation, which would have the name corporation or an Inc, or you can do business as a foreign corporation or at your individual level as a non-resident alien. So there are numerous structures and we can find out what's best for you. You have to take into consideration many factors if you're planning on working with visa franchise because you want to invest in a franchise and seek an immigration visa so they'll be able to review that information with you and guide you through that process and we would guide you through the tax process so there are specific structures that apply to specific visas so this is just a very general conversation but it's really important to get involved with your accountant, your attorney, your service provider that's assisting you with identifying a business. So keep good professionals close. That's very, very important for you. So the question of the hour, how much tax do I pay? 
So just so you have an idea, in the United States, we have tax tables. So depending on your structure, if you pay tax at the individual level, you'll get applied to this tax table. And this tax table for non-resident aliens, I know you see two, two columns, but the one for singles would apply to the non-resident alien. So how do I determine that? I'll get into that later, but I just wanted you to have this as a reference that as a non-resident alien, even if you're married, you can't file together as a non-resident alien. That's why you would fall within the column one. In the United States, if you pay tax at the individual level, you'll pay tax at a graduated tax bracket, as you can see here. It goes from 10% to 37%, and it's gradual. So let's say you had $10,000. The first, the first uh, row is up to 9875 So that amount would be taxed at 10%. The remaining amount would be taxed at 12%. And that's how we can get to the bottom line of how much tax you owe. I did include some other reference points for you as well. Perhaps there's a U.S. tax resident listening in. As a U.S. tax person and you're married, you could file jointly and get a benefit of a wider range. And you also would qualify for this standard deduction, um, which reduces your tax base. So if in my calculation you owed $50,000, we would we would be able to reduce, not owed, if your taxable income was $50,000, we would reduce that by the standard deduction for, for tax purposes. And then based on that, we would apply your taxable income to, to this tax bracket. So there are a bunch of little steps. It's not very direct, but this is basically what your guidelines would be. So at the end of, and you can only get paid tax in the United States at two levels, either the individual level or at the corporate tax rate. So what is the corporate tax rate? I'm happy to say it's, well, 21%, 21%, which has brought a lot of U.S. investment here. A lot of corporations that might have had um, their headquarters outside of the United States decided to start bringing uh, business and their corporation headquarters to the U.S. because we're technically a low tax jurisdiction now for U.S. corporate tax rates. It's a flat tax of 21% for the federal government. A parenthesis or a uh, asterisk that I would put here, we do have 50 states in the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. Everyone, Every state has their own tax state tax rules. So we have to keep in mind that whenever you're coming to the United States to do business here, you do want to take into consideration that what state are you doing business in? Maybe that's something that is not you're not 100% certain on and that you could make a decision based on tax, which is fine. Maybe maybe instead of living in California, maybe you'll go to come to Florida or instead of going to Texas. I mean, either way, we can look at it on a case by case basis and see if there's any tax implication um, to open a small, open your location or where your offices are going to be located. So we'll take all of that into, into consideration. Hey, just a quick question, Alexandra. Um, do you have married couples that, so say someone's on an E2 visa, um, they've been in the U.S. for two years. Is there any reason they would not um, file jointly as a married couple and they would file individually? 
To be honest, in in my experience, as long as they um, meet the substantial presence test or the two visa, they're allowed to file jointly, and it does give a better, a greater benefit for the couple that is filing jointly because you have a wider tax range and a higher standard deduction. As you can see in the slide that I was showing earlier, it's actually doubled. So you do have a greater tax benefit. However, there are clients that really would like to know how much they will owe individually and they wanna file individually so they keep their income taxes separately. There's no tax benefit to that. That's more of a privacy okay. private reason. Personal privacy choice. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Appreciate that. That's important. So carrying on, and whoever is listening in, if you're tuning in through through Facebook or YouTube Live or at the Vetted Biz channels, feel free to, to share our, our videos or share this link if you think it would be helpful. Um, and we'll be answering questions throughout the, the program, the presentation, and then at the end we'll dedicate some time to answer specific questions that you tuned in. So hope you're still still hanging in there. We're getting to the good stuff, slowly but surely. Um, so doing business in the United States, foreign investors, you can still have a, you can be a foreign investor, open a company and have payroll, okay? If you don't have the work permit and you're just the investor, you can't be on payroll, but you can hire other people to run your business and you can do that from afar. So just I just wanted to include this so you have an idea of what type of tax that would be included. Um, the standard payroll taxes that you'd have to account for, which would be an expense on your behalf as the employer, would be the Medicare, which in total is 2.9%, but the employee also contributes. So each, the employer and the employee will contribute 50% each. So your liability, your responsibility as an employer and for your company will be 1.5, 1.45% uh, related to Medicare. And that is on the entire lump sum of wages that you pay, that salaries that you pay your employee that's registered under your business. Also, there's a social security tax that phases out after a certain amount. So depending on how much, how many salaries the, the employee gets paid during the year, if it exceeds $137,700, that's adjusted for inflation every year. So that number is for 2020. The whole liability is 12.4%, but as the employer, you're only responsible for half of that. So that's 6.2%. This is the main like bulk of the payroll taxes that are for contributions for the federal government. So in total, you're going to be paying 7.65% in payroll taxes. However, you do have to consider the unemployment contributions. Federal, you only pay 0.6% up to the first $7,000 in the year. And then it varies per state. I included Florida because we're located in Florida. Um, so we have, I just thought it would be more um, relevant just to have that as a point of reference. But if you have another state that you're cur curious or that you're planning on having an employee, we can certainly give you more details based on location. We work with the entire United States territory you do not have to be located in, in Florida to, to work with us or for us to give you some assistance. Um, so here are 
This is where I'm going to dive in. I have three scenarios that I want to share with you, which I think are very important and the most common scenarios um, for international clients or even U.S. people that live here. They use these structures as well. Not all of them. Some of them, caveats, some of these are molded for international clients as well. So individual ownership would basically mean that you as a foreign person, international investor, came to the United States, generated source of income in the U.S., and it had a tax filing requirement. So you would file an individual income tax return, and you would pay tax according to the tax bracket that I showed you earlier. So depending after the calculation, what's your net income based on your business, or whatever services you performed, or if you sold a property, you would pay tax at the net profit level. What's the difference? I showed you three, two, two examples here, right? The NRA or would incorporate a LLC, which is a limited liability company that I mentioned earlier. That is actually a very common type of entity, which is a US company. It's a legal entity here in for for us to for us to, that we incorporate in the United States it's very very common we do why do we recommend this because it's a hybrid entity hybrid entity means i have the i can elect a different type of treatment that's all you really need to know about an llc so its default classification is a pass through entity means that it doesn't exist for U.S. tax purposes, but it exists for liability purposes, which means there is a separation between the owner and the, the LLC. So you have more protection. And it's actually good because you'd open an LLC bank account. It won't be together with your own personal funds in the United States. Not that there's anything wrong, but it creates a little bit more separation and for legal matters. But when we talk about tax, what's gonna matter? The LLC doesn't matter. Who's gonna pay the tax? It's gonna be the individual. So in this structure, the US LLC for a non-resident alien has a basic informational return just to disclose the accounting, but who's gonna pick up the tax and file it? It would be the non-resident alien from 10 to 37%. Capital, whenever you pay tax at the individual level, if you have some sort of asset that was sold and there's capital gains applicable and you held the asset or the investment for longer than 12 months related into the business, the capital gains treatments are from zero to 20%. Okay. Um, in a negative side, as more like a con, this structure, people sometimes have the misconception that the LLC would mean that you don't have to file at the individual level. That is not true. So the LLC files informational return and then the NRA also files an informational return. So just so you keep that in mind, that would be the individual ownership type structure. The second most common structure that's used in the United States by US tax residents and by international investors is a US LLC with more than one shareholder, more than one member. What does that mean? Automatically, the IRS will see this as a partnership. So the default classification, which means you incorporated an LLC, there's more than one member, it's gonna be a partnership. And this is a great structure for internationals and, and US taxpayers. 
Here you also do file at the individual level and you do file a tax return for the US LLC. So who's paying the tax? Remember I mentioned if, the, if it's a pass-through entity and there's individuals are responsible for the tax, the LLC does not pay tax, it doesn't owe any money. Who pays? It's the NRA the, or the members of the company. Why is this structure actually a pro? It actually has lesser of a chance of getting audited in comparison with the individual owner. When you're doing business, imagine the IRS gets thousands and hundreds of thousands of tax returns for US LLCs that are treated as partnerships. And these could be huge corporations that have a very large number of revenues or profits. And these are things that companies are looking for. So, or not companies, the IRS is looking at. Who am I gonna audit? Because it's really random. It's not something that you can for sure guarantee that you're not going to. But just but seeing if you're a small business owner and you have a US partnership, that U.S. partnership with smaller profits compared to other major partnerships. So the likelihood of you getting audited is smaller than in compa comparison of individual ownership, which is in the first structure. So if you have higher income, you would be likelier to perhaps have a little bit more exposition. So if you can get another shareholder, maybe your wife, another friend that's going to join in on the venture, you could then have a partnership. The great thing about individual ownership and partnerships is that you only pay one level of tax because that is at the individual level in the United States. And then you would have to verify which state would apply. So if you're doing business in Florida and you pay tax at the individual level, like a partnership or individual ownership, you would only pay tax to the federal government because Florida doesn't have individual income tax return. That's why I put zero. Also, if you distribute or withdraw funds from the partnership, there's no dividend tax. You only pay one level of tax. So you can have income minus expenses, your net profit, that lump sum is gonna be taxed in the United States. In a partnership, you would divide that lump sum into three, so it's prorated. So if each shareholder owns one third of the company, and you have $27,000 of net income. Each non-resident alien is going to file an individual tax return and is going to report $9,000 of income tax. And those $9,000 would be applied to that individual tax table that I showed you earlier. So you actually end up dividing the responsibility and you get a lower lower rate on the tax table. It's important, these structures, whenever you own directly the LLC, you do have a state tax um, exposition, like you're exposed to a state tax this way because you're a non-resident alien and you hold shares of a US company. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, it's more favorable in the side of taxes because you get to divide up the obligation and you get a lower tax rate. But then on the con, you have exposed, exposed tax liability. Here in this structure with three members, there would be four tax returns, one for the LLC and three for the individual owners. Um, so sometimes it can become a little bit more expensive. Alexander, quick question. Um, we have someone that's interested to better understand kind of how taxes are between business and personal. So okay. um, 
you have a business, an E2 visa business in the US, do you pay taxes for your business and personal income or would it be all in one whole contribution? Well, in this case, what would we need to know? How is the company treated for tax purposes? Is it a partnership, which is an LLC with more than one member? Is it a disregarded entity, which is the example above this, which is um, an individual owner? Or is it an S corporation? So there are a couple of factors that we would have to take into consideration. Um, and I think maybe once I explain the next slide, which is corporation, they might be able to identify which one their business falls into. And if they have any, if it's not identified, we can go into it more specifically by email or call. So just to continue um, a little bit to the next step, see if I can answer, get these answered more clarified for you. So partnership, individual level, both examples I showed you were individual level. Then we have a US corporation. So as you can see in the title, I put LLC, Inc. or Corp. So by default classification, when you open an Inc. and it has Inc. or Corp in the name, it is automatically a U.S. corporation and it will be treated as a U.S. corporation for tax purposes. I included LLC. I'm not sure if you remember me saying that it is a hybrid entity and you can elect for a different type of tax treatment instead of it being passed through. So that would mean that as your accountants filled out a specific form, filed it with the IRS, your name won't change with LLC, it'll, it'll be now treated as a, as a C corporation. Why is this so interesting? In this structure as a non-resident alien, you would not have to file an individual income tax return if you own shares of a US corporation, C corporation. So the US C corporation is responsible for all the obligations with the IRS, meaning, it files its own accounting, files its own tax return, and is required to pay taxes at the company level. So in accounting terms, we say it's opaque. So it's not the opposite of pass-through. LLC, if you want the pass-through treatment, then the individuals pay tax. So in this feature, you would have the U.S. corporation in which we will pay federal income tax at a flat rate of 21%. And then based on your location, depending on what state, we would have to evaluate if you have state income tax require, requirements, okay? So I can give you the example of Florida. In Florida, we do have a state corporate tax rate. So in addition to the 21%, there is 4.458% that's paid to the state of Florida. The great thing about Florida is that there is a exemption. So for the first $50,000 of your net income, you do not have to apply state of Florida corporate tax rates. So if you had $40,000 you generated a net profit, zero will be paid to the state of Florida and 21% will be paid to the federal government. Okay, there's a big, big feature determining factor for a U.S. corporation, which is that you're double taxed. And we're not talking about income tax. We're talking about dividend tax, which is taxes on earnings and profits. So this is something that for international clients, you really want to keep in mind 
that depending on what your objective is, if you plan on investing in a business in the United States and you want to either withdraw the funds so that you can use it for personal matters or if you want to keep reinvesting, this is something you would want to consider if you opt for a U.S. corporation. Why? Because if you once you withdraw funds from a U.S. corp, they're considered dividends and dividends to non-resident aliens are taxed at the highest level, which is 30 percent. So in addition to the income tax of 21 and state, there's 30 percent. Obviously, there's a caveat depending on what country you're from. Let's say Mexico. Mexico, we have a tax treaty which reduces that liability. Unfortunately, with Brazil, there's no no tax treaty. So whenever you withdraw money from from the U.S. corporation, you would be taxed again 30 percent. So that's something for you to consider um, as a as a foreign investor. So as you can see, I put two different types of structures. Regardless, I say U.S. corporation in the United States have its own U.S. bank account. It will have its operations, derive income and expenses. But then who's the owner? In this first example, I put a foreign corporation, which could be interesting for clients that want to invest in the United States, but they don't plan on immigrating to the United States because this gives you complete estate tax protection. So in the case, the foreign investor that owns this foreign company that owns the U.S. business passes away, there would be zero income tax return, income tax, estate tax liability to the IRS for you to be able to continue maneuvering um, that company. So that's really that's a interesting and, and valid. We have lots of clients that invest in U.S. real estate, but they never plan on immigrating here and they use this traditional structure. So, but nothing, that's just for foreign investors. Nothing prevents you from just doing the investment directly as an NRA to the U.S. corporation. The only con is that you wouldn't have the estate tax protection. So I think this is basically covering the different types of if you are a non-resident alien filing at the individual level or through a U.S. partnership, which would mean flow through entities, that means that the company does not pay tax. And then versus a U.S. corporation, that means that we're going to be, the company would, would pay the taxes, but the individual would not have to file a tax return. Um, maybe I believe we could, for U.S. for U.S. taxpayers, maybe this might address a concern. If you have a, an S corporation, for instance, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this really pertains to U.S. taxpayers. But an S corporation is kind of a hybrid company, just like an LLC. And through elections, we can achieve this treatment. But it's only applicable for U.S. taxpayers. So if you don't meet the U.S. tax residency or green card or or passport, you can't elect for an S corporation. But what's the beauty is that the, the corporation does not have um, taxes. Who pays the tax would be the individual owner. Okay. And the beauty of that would be S corporations do not have self-employment tax. So these terms that I'm using, they're really attributed to U.S. taxpayers. Non-resident aliens would not qualify for an S corporation. But if you're in doubt as to what's the best strategy for you, we can definitely discuss um, in more in more detail your specific case.
So one moment. Okay. So that was basically wrapping up the different types of structures and the most commonly used. You won't find anything really other than that um, in the United States. So it's not difficult for U.S. people to, to, for international clients to come and do business. So you don't need a social security number to do business here. You just, you don't even have to be physically present to open a company or to open a bank account. So these are key features that I think are important for everyone to know. So I guess the, the question, the second question of the hour is how do I know if I'm a tax resident or not? Because you might not have a green card or you might not have a U.S. citizenship. But the IRS uses different measurements to determine your, your tax residency. So this is really important. Many clients, many people don't know that this exists. So it's something that six years ago, my first day at, at H&Co, I learned about substantial presence tests because it's very important and very relevant nowadays. Um, so if you are a non-green card holder, or a non-US citizen, we always revert back to the substantial presence test, which is a formula that the IRS created to determine if maybe you're not a US tax, a US resident for immigration purposes, but you spend so much time in the United States that you are a US taxpayer. So there's a formula of three years that you have to take into consideration and the first, you count 100% of the days in which you are filing the tax return or evaluating if you have tax obligations for. Then you count one third of the days of the first preceding year. So 2019, I would count 100% of my days that I spend in the United States. 2018, I would count one third. And then the third year would be the second proceeding, which would be 2017, just so you have like a gauge. So it's always three years. And it's something that we advise that you keep control of if you come to the US once a month or you're always spending some time here. So take that into consideration unless you fall within an exempt, an exempt visa. And an exempt visa would mean I have a visa, but I'm a student, for instance, which would be an F visa. And in the F visa, you can spend as much time as you want in the United States, but you those won't count towards your substantial presence test. So this is something that we take into consideration and we do this evaluation for all of our clients on a yearly basis. Okay, here, there are some other examples of J, which is very common if you come here to be a trainer or a teacher. So whatever time you spend in the US won't count towards the substantial presence. So I just wanted to give you a visualization so you can kind of understand where we would get our information from. And many clients ask me, but how do you know, or how are you going to get how many days that I spent here? I can't figure that out. Well, don't worry, the Homeland Security uh, department implemented or has had for many years I-94, which gathers your or keeps track of your travel history. So this is just, there is a link and you can go directly to the state Homeland Security website, insert your passport information and it'll populate with your travel, travel for the last few years. And based on that, we insert this into an Excel and get to your bottom line calculation. So this was really neat when I figured this out as well, but it's been around for, for years. So just so you can have 
hang in there. We're almost, we're almost getting to the end. Not too much. We just, I just want to show you an example of how you can apply the substantial presence. And here you'll see, we're using an example as if you were to file 2019 tax return. So it'd be 19, 18, and 17, which would be the years that we would go to the I-94 and gather your travel history. And based on the formula, you wouldn't meet the, you would be considered here 142 days, you'd be considered a non-resident. So we counted 100% of 2019, one of 2018, one third of 2018, and one sixth of 2017. Add that up, 142, less than 183 days, non-resident alien. You don't have to worry about it. whatever income you derive in the United States, you'll pay tax on that. Another example, just to show, let's say the substantial presence test after you apply the formula and you add it all together, exceeded 183 days, right? This example is 200. You would be considered a U.S. tax resident. What does that mean? That means that any non-resident alien tax treatments no longer applies. You would have to file taxes as a U.S. person. And this opens a lot of other obligations, meaning now you have to file taxes on your global income. And this is something that we would have to look on a case-by-case -case basis and see how that would affect you. For tax year 2000, just so you have an example, there's always the trick um, as to how can you control the number of days so that you're always treated as a, a non-resident alien. The magic number is 120 days a year. If you can control that presence in the United States, you would be forever a non-resident alien. As long as you do not have a green card, as long as you do not have a US passport, you would adhere to the substantial presence test. So if that applies to you, you're a non-resident alien, and this would be our measurement as to understanding what your tax obligations are. So a big question that we've had now given this, this year, tumultuous year, COVID-19, the IRS was actually looking out for us. They gave us an exemption period. So if you're concerned that you have to spend a lot extra time here because flights were down, you couldn't get back home, couldn't leave the country because of COVID, if, you, if this happened to you while you entered in the United States during what the IRS calls emergency period, which would be February 1st until April 1st, you can exclude 60 days of physical present in the United States. So let me just give you an example. If I arrived in the United States on March 31st, and that's within the period I just defined as emergency, and I couldn't go back home because flights weren't going out of the United States, you could exclude up to 60 days. So if you only stayed 40 days and you left, you would exclude those 40 days from your calculation. Here in this example, just so you can see, we would exclude from 2020, given that the U.S. person arrived on March 20th, exclude the 60 days. So what does that do? Apply the formula, 120, which means less than 183. Therefore, you're not a U.S. tax resident. These are important points in case you were worried about how that affects you. We can easily do a calculation and see if you're a non-resident or a resident and kind of go into the step-by-step -step as how that would affect you. So I think 
in in summary, this kind of gave you the gist of how we determine non-residents versus U.S. residents for tax purposes. So just as like to wrap wrap it up and end the the presentation, we are a a boutique CPA firm specialized in working with international clients. For over 25 years, the office has been open in Coral Gables. And anything that you might need from A to Z, opening a company, discussing what type of company, to the accounting, to what type of software, to tax planning, pre-immigration tax planning, opening the company once you decide to opening, annual renewal, what kind of obligations do I have every year with the, with the IRS and with the state of Florida for tax? This is what we do. This is what we love to do. We give you personalized service in the language that you prefer. And this is just one of our, our passions and we'll be happy to further discuss with you. And I guess that's it. So thanks so much for, for tuning in and participating. I'm happy to assist any of you. Alexandra, thanks so much. Um, we just have a couple of questions. I want to be mindful of everyone's time. Um, so could you just clarify for the people that um, have been kind of stuck in the U.S. because of COVID and haven't been traveling or maybe they just left a month ago, but they might have passed their substantial presence, uh, what the options are for them? Of course. Happy to. So. The IRS stipulated that there is an emergency covered period, meaning if anyone between the window of February 1st and April 1st came into the United States, you can pick the day that shows up on, on, your, on your entry stamp from the I-94. Based on that day and based on the day you exit, we'll be able to exclude the 60 days. So let's say, in 2020, I decided to come into the United States on March 1st because I had this travel ticket that was already purchased and I had to come to the United States, but I was only gonna stay a month. And once I entered the US, COVID happened and everything went haywire. What is the IRS stipulating? It's saying that if for any reason you had to stay longer in the United States, and this might affect you meeting substantial presence through the formula that I explained, you can exclude up to 60 days of the time that you were in the United States. But that only applies to if you came in throughout that window. So the window is February 1st to April 1st. If you entered on April 15th, you don't get to exclude any days from the formula. So that's a very key part to this. So if you do have this situation, if you are concerned um, feel free. To, here's my contact information, uh, my email address. Feel free to email me. I can guide you through the process and kind of help you understand if you do, if you're, if you exceeded, if you have some filing obligation with the IRS. Um, happy to answer any any concerns. Yeah, and that was the last one. Just the best way to to reach out to you, and we everyone should be able to see the contact information here. Uh, again, Alexandra Martins from H&Co, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, don't hesitate to, to reach out to Alexandra with any needs you might have from an accounting perspective. 
Um, and then if we're able to help you with finding analyzing a franchise through Visa Franchise and be your advisor there, or if you're more thinking about buying an existing business, you can also visit our online platform at www.vettedbiz.com. And you should be able to see that in the bottom right-hand uh, corner of your screen, Vetted Biz, as well as Visa Franchise. So again, thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks to our special guest, Alexandra, and, and wish everyone a great day. Thanks. thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. If you found today's learnings helpful for your entrepreneurial endeavors, I encourage you to follow us on our Vetted Biz YouTube channel. Also, our podcast episodes are available on every major podcast network. This includes Spotify, Google, and Apple. For Apple Podcasts, you can actually leave us up to a five-star rating and also give comments to see what type of feedback you'd like to see for future episodes. If you prefer, email me at patrick at vettedbiz.com with any questions, feedback, or suggested topics for future podcast episodes. Thanks again for listening today.